Maggie, I'm so excited about our guest today, Katie Couric. Oh my God, me too. But first, I want to talk about Parachute Home. Love Parachute. So Parachute has a new line of towels, shower curtains, and bath rugs. And it's everything you really need to make your bathroom over. Yeah, their quality is amazing. Super soft. When I get out of the bath or shower, it's the perfect thing to just wrap myself up in. I know. I have a few. I need to load up on more, though. Yes. To feel that softness and experience Parachute for yourself, visit ParachuteHome.com slash GirlBoss for free shipping and returns on Parachute's comfortable bedding and bath linens. Uh, Parachute has a line of heathered towels, color-blocked canvas shower curtains, Turkish towels, and beautiful hand-knit bath rugs. You can check them out for yourself on ParachuteHome.com slash GirlBoss. That's Parachute, P-A-R-A-C-H-U-T-E, H-O-M-E dot com slash girlboss for free shipping and returns. And they offer a 60-night trial. So if you don't love it, just send it back. Success. It's such a complicated idea. And yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today's guest, Katie Couric, is an award-winning journalist, documentary filmmaker, and New York Times best-selling author of The Best Advice I Ever Got, Lessons from Extraordinary Lives. Actually, the list of her accomplishments is endless. She has her own production company. She runs numerous charities funding cancer research. She hosts a podcast. She's a mother. Katie's awards include a DuPont Columbia Peabody, two Edward R. Murrows, a Walter Cronkite Award from the University of Southern California's Annenberg School, and multiple Emmys. Katie Couric is a trailblazer. I entered TV news at a very male-dominated time in 1979, where women did not have many powerful roles. They were often assistants, production assistants. There were a handful of reporters, uh, not too many producers, but it was, it was by and large a bastion of white maleness. After 15 years as co-anchor of NBC's Today Show, in 2006, Katie Couric made history when she left to join CBS television as the first woman at the helm of an evening newscast. She went on to host a network daytime talk show, serve as global news anchor for Yahoo News, and in 2015 launched Katie Couric Media, where she's working on a number of scripted and unscripted projects. Today she's here to talk to us about her latest project, a six-part documentary series, America Inside Out, launching in April on Nat Geo. For the past eight months... I've been traveling all over, simultaneously doing six hours of television, which is a lot, talking about Confederate statues and how, how they come to symbolize sort of our racial past, present, and potentially future. I've talked about white working class anxiety and Trump voters and tried to really get 
to the bottom of that about what people are fearful about and what they, you know, the things they are holding on to, you know, trying to actually demystify a segment of the population that's so often demonized. I've done um, something on gender inequality in Hollywood and Silicon Valley. What is the underlying reasons that we've been so stuck for so long? And did something on technology. So I took all these, um, what's it like to be a Muslim in America right now? And these are things that I think are not really being explored in the modern media. But first, from Girlboss, let's welcome Maggie Renshaw with a look at what's happening here at the Girlboss HQ. Woohoo! We're grinding away here. We sure are. This week, we're introducing a very special custom podcast with our friends at Sephora. It's actually not about beauty at all. Instead, it highlights the stories of some pretty rad females. Cool. Yeah, so in honor of this show, we have a podcast. (laughs) Bonus episode. Yeah. Sophia, who's it with? So it's with Ami So, who is the founder of Tech Lady Mafia. She hosts a really popular podcast called Call Your Girlfriend with Ad Friedman. She's a cancer survivor and someone who I'm really excited to talk to. Awesome. I'm really excited as well. And we also have some pretty exciting stuff going on on girlboss.com, right? Yeah, definitely. We actually have this really cool series called Game Changers. Um, It's about women shifting the system in their respective industry and revolutionizing it to create a level playing field between men and women. Last week, we did one on tech, and this week, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Ooh, hi, Ben. (laughs) Hello, Ben. (laughs) We're talking about finance. And there's one that deals with blockchain, right? Yeah. Have you used blockchain or do you know anything about blockchain? I bought some cryptocurrency, but I think I'm losing it every day. (laughs) Yeah. Blockchain is actually really cool, but very intense and scary for people, even though it is rather simple. I just had a discussion with my friends about it, actually, and we all have different ideas of what it is. So We're featuring someone named Amy Carr, right, Mm -hmm. who never went to college, worked her way up from intern to VP, worked on Hillary's campaign... And now is an advisor and has a branding agency for blockchain solutions. That's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Amy Carr actually didn't even uh, graduate high school. She was a dropout and ran away from home. Wow. I know. And she got her GED literally as she was working it up from an intern to a VP. She realized that she probably needed this. So while she was working, she got her GED, which was pretty cool. So to see more of these amazing profiles, go to girlboss.com. And next up is Katie Town. That's right. First name basis. Katie Woo-hoo. Kirk is here in our studios in Silver Lake, California, to talk to me a little bit about her career and what we have to learn from her. Now journalist, anchor, author, advocate for cancer research, documentary film producer, and fellow podcast host, Katie Couric. I like to start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., so really a suburb of D.C. What was that like? What was... It was great. It was, um, I had a very leave-it-to-beaver kind of wholesome upbringing. My mom was a homemaker. My dad was a journalist who then went into public relations. My mom volunteered at Planned Parenthood and also ultimately worked at Lord & Taylor in the gifts department. Uh, She was of a generation where women really didn't have careers. My mom was born in 1923. And um, I always said that if 
things had been different, my mom probably would have been in finance or a stockbroker. She she bought a lot of Trojan stock at the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. So she was very uh, kind of savvy and quite ambitious for the four kids, but never really had a career herself. Yeah. And you we went didn't, to- you know, we didn't have much money. We had pretty middle class upbringing. Didn't take nice vacations. Didn't belong to a country club. Didn't really even belong to a swimming pool. My mom would. My mom passed away, but I hear her chastising me, like, don't say that. But, you know, we had a house full of love and parents who really emphasized education and who were very ambitious for all of us. That's great. Where are you in the in the I'm four the youngest. Kids? You're the youngest. Can't you tell? I don't know. I'm an only child. I don't. <laughs> oh, really, you are. I don't understand the I'm dynamics. Very, I'm very typical for a youngest child. Okay. You know, sort of outgoing, had sort of a lot of personality, could charm my way out of or into situations my whole life, and got a lot of attention growing up. My sister yeah. said they used to put my little what would you call that little cradle thing on the middle of the table and with the, everybody in the family would sit around looking at me yeah. and carrying on and so I think I I really you're I, used was, to the attention yeah I blossomed in that <laughs> environment so it's been sort of for better or for worse yeah and you went to college in Virginia I did I wanted to go to Smith College where both my sisters went which is one of, was one of the seven sisters I guess still is super academic, very selective, but I got rejected after my older sister graduated from their Phi Beta Kappa. My other sister did really well and went on to Harvard School of Design and in landscape architecture. But I got rejected, which was really a terrible experience for me as a teenager. But I ended up going to UVA, which was in-state, a lot less expensive for my parents. And I ended up loving it and getting a great education. It was probably a much better fit for me. Yeah. And did you always want to be a journalist? At what point did you start writing or getting involved? Was it like a high school yearbook? or? You know, I, I worked for my high school paper. I, even as a kid, would write sort of magazine articles and paint the illustrations and put them together. I have, I think I have it in my, I have a sentimental box where I keep, like stuff through the years when I was little, love notes or awards, piano pens when I won a piano, comp- not, not a competition. It was just like a piano. A recital. Com- yeah. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> like I was good enough to be in a competition. <laughs> but there was a, a magazine that I had done called Now. And I had the cover and my daughters get such a kick out of it where I have a poem in there and an article and all kinds of things. So I always love to write. I think I was always pretty good at writing, and I was always very outgoing, so I liked people. So I knew I wanted to do something that involved writing people and creativity of some kind. And I don't know whether I always—I didn't have my heart set on being a journalist. I was also interested in the creative end of advertising, but I knew I was attracted to things that involve writing and having to be sort of clever and quick. So there's a big difference between writing and talking. And so much of your career has been talking, but and people think of journalism largely as writing, but like as yeah, if someone's sitting in a position where they haven't really studied journalism, how do you go from 
writing to becoming a personality, but also a journalist? I think, well, I think writing is the very foundation of even if you're on television, if you're an anchor, if you're a reporter, because I think the writing is everything. You may not realize it, but I think becoming a good writer helps you become a good speaker. It helps you formulate thoughts in your head. It helps introduce you to more descriptive words. And I think they're really inextricably linked. And so I think that it took me a while to feel comfortable on camera. I think writing can be more of a solitary endeavor. You know, I think, as I said, my proclivity for being, you know, liking people. I'm a very social person. I like interacting with people. I would say my emotional intelligence is pretty high. So I think the combination of that and trying to understand things, write about them, explain them, and then having this mm -hmm. joy uh, of interfacing with people, kind of all, it's, it's a good combination, I think, and it creates this alchemy where you can thrive as a quote-unquote personality or a journalist, which is really different. I mean, I think being a journalist and a personality are, are sort of different. Katie has an extraordinary career and has changed jobs and reinvented herself quite a few times. I asked her to share some of her best career advice with us. Sometimes you have to have a pleasant or a, a personality that makes you, makes people listen to you mm -hmm. and makes people not only interested in you, but what you're saying and what you're talking about. So in in that way, you, you have to have both, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for someone who may not know how to do that but needs to go out and sell herself to, you know, get investors or get someone to, you know, buy her products? Uh, is like, how can you cultivate that kind of confidence and bring people into the world that you find so fascinating? Well, I think, you know, I think you hit on the key word is confidence. I think you have to really go into a space believing in yourself. If you're passionate about something, you have to figure out a way to communicate that passion to other people. Mm -hmm. So maybe you figure out why am I passionate about it and how can I explain that? And I also think if you get nervous, come up with a stump speech that really that you can rely on and go back to time and time again. Mm -hmm. I know that I, someone told me Fried Zakaria, who's so eloquent and such a great oh, yeah. speaker, that he works on this something that he gives every year that's maybe a talk, a half-hour talk. I hope I'm right. And Fareed, I'm sorry if I'm not. But that he really gets his thoughts together. He comes up with a thesis, what he wants to communicate. And then he goes back to that well. And so when he gives talks, that's what he uses. Mm -hmm. So I think if you... I mean, you probably know how to do this, though, don't you? I can't really give a talk. Like, I struggle to give, like, a 15-minute talk on a stage. I'm super lazy. I do Q&As. Uh-huh. I'm bad at homework and preparing in that regard. And right. I, get, I am an introvert, and so right. I started my first business behind a computer. This one came out of a book, which I did in a room by myself, like... And have That's found hard, myself you know? with teams and now, you know, somewhat, you know, I have a podcast, but I'm not really on camera a ton. Right. But it's, it's been an interesting transition going from someone who, like, kind of creates worlds and tells stories uh, from behind the scenes to someone who's very much at, at, the, at the front of the. Right. Kind of, of the quote unquote brand. Right. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, that's interesting. Do you have you gotten more comfortable as you've gone along in front of crowds or whatever? A little bit. A little bit. I'm gonna. I have a 15 minute talk I have to give up in the Bay Area because I was like, I didn't. I'm not doing any pre- really any press right now. I'm like, I want to have accomplished more at Girl Boss before I go out and like tell the whole world about it. Um, I still feel like I have a chip on my shoulder, but I would be jumping on stage right after Reed Hoffman and Sarah Blakely. Uh, up at like in the, like a Silicon Valley event, and I need people in Silicon Valley to care about what I'm doing because I need their money, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do that. But it's going to be 15 minutes, and I don't know what I'm going to say. But like, still the 30 minutes, 45 minutes, just orating. Do you have Do you have a prompter in those situations? I uh, I've never used a teleprompter. I would love a teleprompter. But, like, no one ever asks me, like, would you like a teleprompter? Well, I think you need to ask them yeah. for a teleprompter. And I think yeah. you need to sit down. And- Inclusion writer <laughs> and teleprompter writer. <laughs> Check. I'd be happy to look at your talk or your okay. comments if you want. I need to write it down somewhere. Yeah. No, you you actually, you do. I do. You need I to do. write it down. And you need to be a little disciplined about just sitting down and really figuring out, like, why are you passionate about this? What are your goals? Why are you doing this? Because you need to communicate that passion to get other people excited it about it. It gets easier and easier every day with what we're doing here. Good. I think it's a lot harder being like, I started an eBay store and now I'm a fashion CEO. Like that was it was a great ride, but that was never, I never dreamt of running a fashion company. I just yeah. followed my nose and, you know, went down the rabbit hole and worked really hard and got there. But this is a company that I'm really like personally uh, excited about. We're really creating content and community around redefining what success is for women. Like it's a new era where the construct of what success was, was built by the guys who put themselves on the cover of Forbes. And that like, isn't necessarily what it means for anybody, men included, and certainly not for women, it's, you know, the time is ripe for us to figure out what that means for ourselves individually, but to have that conversation together. Nice. Yeah. That was good. Cool. Use that. Replay That's that. That's it. That's my talk. <clears throat> and use that okay. as the basis for your, cool. your, sh- Thanks. your spiel. Your spiel. Thanks for the coaching. In 1991, when Deborah Norville did not return from maternity leave, Cork took her place as the permanent co-anchor of the NBC program today. What was your first role in, in journalism? Was it a big break? Did you start as an intern? Where'd your career Yeah, I be? started as, a not, well, I worked as an intern at radio stations in Washington every year while I was in school. So I was a summer intern at WASH, WAVA, and WMAL Radio. And then I wanted, I decided I would like to pursue television because it was 1979. There were more opportunities for women. I thought it was more lucrative than radio. And it seemed exciting and fun. I also was interested in print journalism, but I ended up getting a job at ABC News in Washington where I was the gopher, making coffee, Xeroxing, fixing the ribbons on the teletype machines back in the day where you put little white cotton gloves on and it was this purple ribbon that stained your skin terribly so you didn't want that to happen and I 
then went from that to working at CNN before they even went on the air to then working in local news because I wanted more experience as reporting, as a reporter. And then I ended up covering the Pentagon and getting a job on the Today Show and then going to CBS, doing a talk show, going to Yahoo, (laughs) and now doing various projects. So I've been doing this for a while. Katie's daytime talk show, which was syndicated by ABC Disney, aired from 2012 to 2014. That show averaged 2 million viewers daily, the highest premiere of any new daytime talk show. What was your first time on the air? What was that like? It was when I was at CNN, and they let me, I've I've told this story a couple of times, but they let me have an opportunity to go to the White House and go on air and say what the president was doing that day. Ronald Reagan was president, and I'm feeling very old right now. And I had to basically do an on-air stand-up and give the president's schedule, and I was really, really bad. And the president of CNN called and said he never wanted me on the air again. So I was terrible. Were you actually terrible? I was. How did you get better? I think you get better by just doing it, right? Yeah, Practicing. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell says it takes 10,000 hours to become proficient in anything. So I kept doing it and doing it and kept working on it. And I went to a, a voice coach because my voice was really like this. Was it? Because yeah. I was just thinking, like, is she a smoker? How'd she get this cool voice? I know. I have this low voice, don't it's I? Cool. It's kind of weird. It's and it's very like... recognizable. Like, sometimes I'm at a store and... I have no makeup on and look super scary and nobody recognizes me. And someone will, I'll say, start talking to the salesperson and they'll be like, wait, because I think a lot of people, when I did the Today Show, listened to me more than watch me because they were doing other things when the Mm -hmm. show was on. But anyway, I was terrible. I was truly, and I'm not just saying that, I was not good. I was very unpolished. I was 23 or 24 years old and I just had no idea what I was doing and I just needed to work on it. So I kept working on it. And I found people who would give me a chance to do on-air stuff. I moved to Atlanta and worked on a show. And so I got better. Katie has interviewed so many political figures, including U.S. Presidents Ford Carter, George H.W. Bush, Clinton, and she was the first and last person to interview John F. Kennedy Jr. for NBC. We'll have more with Katie Couric in just a bit, but first, let's talk about finding great talent. Oh man, ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter has been such a huge supporter of Girl Boss Radio since the beginning, and it's a pretty powerful platform. Yeah, actually, someone asked me to give them a reference on ZipRecruiter. It's so easy. Literally just a click of a button, and then you write just a little sentence or two, and it ships off to the person who wanted it originally. Yeah, it's like way more automated than other solutions, and ZipRecruiter learns. It learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and invites them to apply for your job. So it's like recruiting them, but like with technology. So in fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And oh my God, I can tell you how many weeks I've gone without getting quality candidates just waiting for inbound resumes. It's tough. (laughs) Businesses of all sizes, including us here at Girlboss, which now has 20, we have 20 people here. Mm -hmm. Uh, We trust ZipRecruiter for our hiring needs. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right. There's no better price than free. 
Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. That's Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R.com slash girlboss. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And before we get back to Katie Couric, I'd like to talk about another partner, ShipStation. We love ShipStation. We sure do. So we have like a few things for sale on girlboss.com slash shop, I think. Mm -hmm. And just cute little merchy items, stuff that we had at the last Girlboss rally. And we've been fulfilling the orders using ShipStation. Oh, yeah. It's actually really, really easy because it can be really tricky. I've sat at a post office for literally hours just going through them. Literally, go to the site. You print off the label. Invoice is included on that. You have everything in one place. Literally package it yourself, pass it off to the post office, they mail it out. So easy. And right now, our listeners can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free. That means two months, 60 days free only if you use our promo code GIRLBOSS. Go to ShipStation.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com, enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation. Make ship happen. And now back to Katie Couric. Katie suffered tremendous personal loss in front of the Today Show audience. After her husband's death, she began focusing her efforts on educating Americans on cancer screenings, raising money for cancer research, and lending her support to the folks undergoing treatment. You were at the height of your career, uh, and you kept going. How did you find the strength to keep going? Well, I really like working. I love my job. I've loved, I've been very fortunate in that I really enjoy what I do for a living. And not everyone can say that. I feel like there's so many people for whom work is just real drudgery, but I'm I'm very lucky that way. And my daughters were just two and six at the time. My husband died in 1998. And I really didn't have a choice. I mean, plus, let's face it, I had this incredible job. I was really lucky to have this job as the co-anchor of the Today Show. It was a very plumb job in my field. You know, I was very well paid. I had these incredible opportunities to meet people, to go places, to cover events. And I didn't want to give it up. And I needed to work because I needed to support my family. And I wanted to also be an example for my daughters that you just have to keep on going. And so there was no real choice. I wanted a career, so I didn't want to stop working. So you do what you have to do. And I had a lot of support. You know, it was really nice for all the negative side of social media. If I there had been social media back then, I think I would have been inundated with, you know, Facebook posts and Instagram messages and tweets because, well, maybe they would have been nasty too, but there was a lot of very positive and supportive energy that was shown toward me during that very difficult time. Mm-hmm. Because morning shows, you do feel like you get to know the people well because you're watching them while you're brushing your teeth and at the time putting on pantyhose when people used to wear pantyhose. And so people, I think, felt felt for me. I must have gotten 
10,000 sympathy cards. Wow. I had boxes and boxes full of cards from complete strangers who I think just felt very moved by seeing a young mom with two little kids lose her husband and their father at such an early age. So I had a lot of support. And I think about that because a lot of people don't. And they go through these very difficult times. And so in a weird way, I was very lucky then too. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years later, my sister Emily died of pancreatic cancer. So cancer has really affected my life. I used to think, gosh, everything was great until I turned 40 and then everything went to shit, (laughs) at least when it comes to, you know, people I love. Katie is a co-founder of Stand Up to Cancer. And now in its 10th year, Stand Up to Cancer has raised over $500 million to fund scientific research teams that emphasize collaboration and innovation. There were nine of us, nine women. I started first focusing on colon cancer awareness, as you probably know. I don't know if you know about that, but Mm -hmm. I did a colonoscopy on the Today Show, and I started the National Colorectal Cancer Research Alliance because... I really wanted to raise research dollars for scientists involved in this cancer because it's not a very sexy cancer, but it's the second leading cancer killer of men and women combined. So my initial efforts went toward that. And then afterwards, I decided I wanted to do something for all cancers because one in two men and one in three women are diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. So I started with these other women stand up to cancer, which really is trying to change the paradigm, is changing the paradigm of how cancer research is conducted. It focuses on collaboration instead of competition with all these different institutions and companies and pharmaceutical companies and biotech firms all collaborating and working together so we can move science forward faster. And it's been really an incredible experience Mm -hmm. to first and foremost to meet these scientists who are brilliant and often get very little attention or credit for their tireless dedication to coming up with better treatments for patients. And then, you know, to be able to raise over $500 million to distribute to these scientists so they can continue their work because a lot of the federal funding has dried up and it, you know, one in 10, only one in 10 promising research proposals is funded by the government. So you have to make up the slack with private donations. So I feel very proud of the work we've done. I went to one of your events. Thank at, you. Uh, Cipriani. Oh, yeah. 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 Cheryl Crow. Yes. Oh, yeah. that, that was great. Yeah, and was Tony really Bennett. Nice. Yeah, Desiree Gruber bought yes, me. Yes, that's right. She's well, a friend. She's one of our advisors. She's great. She Desiree's is, great. She, she's great. She has a very funny story about me. Has she ever told uh-uh. you? So I lived in Coconut Grove in Florida when I worked as a local news reporter. And Desiree's dad, Don Gruber, was our super at my apartment building. Oh, my God. And I got to know Don a little bit. He was a little bit like... You know, a little bit of a caricature of a super. He was just kind of a character. And he asked me, will you talk to my daughter about careers? So 16-year-old Desiree Gruber came and talked to me about work. And I don't remember what I told her. 
But I always think that's so funny. She's gone on to do such great things. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. And I'm so proud of her. And how funny is that? That's really funny. Yeah. She's been like such a great friend. So at South by Southwest, you talked a little bit about Matt Lauer and a little bit just about the sexual harassment that is so widespread. What is the kind of sexism you've faced and uh, how have you overcome it? Like, what have you seen in the workplace? You know, I entered TV news at a very male-dominated time in 1979 where women did not have many powerful roles. They were often assistants, production assistants. They There were a handful of reporters and not too many producers, but it was it was by and large a bastion of white maleness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I I have been fairly fortunate throughout my career because while I have been the recipient of sexist comments and remarks, I just sort of forged ahead and ignored it and just did my thing. Um, And at a fairly early age, I got this job on the Today Show. I think I was 34 years old. Um, And so for that reason, and because I I just kind of forged ahead, I, I didn't experience that much blatant harassment. You know, I think there's a lot of insidious sexism, mm-hmm. implicit bias, and kind of marginalization that goes on that's really hard to quantify, but very much exists in workplaces all across the country where women are often not respected for their intelligence. They're somehow less than... You know, I mean, it's a it's the mm-hmm. same old, same old. You've heard this before where they're just not, I don't think, treated the same way. And I think there have been times in my career where I've been marginalized and sidelined and not treated with the kind of respect I think I deserve for my intelligence and that that certainly in my business – For a long time, women were judged on their appearance and, you know, in a way that is just a complete double standard in terms of how men are evaluated and analyzed and judged. But I also think, you know, again, I was lucky because I had a fair amount of quote unquote power at 34 that I had got, I'd sort of reached beyond my wildest expectations and gotten a job. And so I wasn't in that striving period. And I think when you're striving, the power dynamic is so different. And I've come to appreciate what that's like when you're not in the fortunate position of having this great job, but you're trying to get there. And the kind of positions that women are put in when they're more in the striving uh, striving period than when they've gotten there. In 2015, Katie launched her production company, Katie Couric Media. She's actively involved in a number of scripted and unscripted projects. She also hosts a podcast on the Stitcher Network with Brian Goldsmith, featuring conversations with bold-faced names in politics, media, and popular culture. Katie's documentaries include Gender Revolution, A Journey with Katie Couric for National Geographic, Under the Gun, which aired on Epics, and Fed Up, which looks at the roots of the obesity epidemic and is currently available on Netflix. 
Following the success of Gender Revolution, Couric is partnering with Nat Geo again on the six-part documentary series, America Inside Out, that will take a deep dive into revolutionary changes and major social issues of our time. I asked her to tell us about the series. It's been just an incredible experience. I uh, did a documentary for Nat Geo last year called Gender Revolution because I wanted to examine our changing perceptions of gender and gender identity because it has been such a transformation from when I grew up and when I came of age and even, you know, through much of my lifetime. And when my daughter, who's at Stanford, said that when they have a class, they go around the room giving their names and pronouns, I thought, wow, this things are really, really different. And I had kind of in, explored transgender issues before and and had not handled them very well. I had sort of whiffed on a question on my talk show and I did I mishandled it and I got a lot of blowback, understandably so. But instead of kind of retreating, I thought, well, obviously I need to educate myself because if I educate myself, maybe I can help educate other people. You know, because I think when you're a journalist, I think you're kind of in a way, you're kind of a teacher. So I did this documentary, which was incredibly well-received and very satisfying, gratifying for me. And I'd love you to watch it. It's on Netflix, Amazon, and iTunes. And it's it's really a very personal look about gender. And I explore a lot of different transgender families and situations. And I think as a result, it breaks through because you get to actually know people. And I realized there's so there's such little opportunity in the current landscape to actually have empathy and feel invested in someone else's story. So I decided, they asked me if uh, Nachio was nice enough to say, do you want to do some more of these? So we said, why not we do a series? And I was able to pick the topics. And there are topics that I think don't get enough attention but are worthy of our attention. And that's how it happened. So for the past eight months, I've been traveling all over, simultaneously doing six hours of television, which is a lot, talking about Confederate statues and how how they come to symbolize sort of our racial past, present, and potentially future. I've talked about white working class anxiety and Trump voters and tried to really to the bottom of that about what people are fearful about and what they, you know, the things they are holding on to, um, you know, trying to actually demystify a segment of the po- population that's so often demonized. I've done um, something on gender inequality in Hollywood and Silicon Valley. What is the underlying reasons that we've been so stuck for so long? And uh, I did something on technology. So I took all these, um, what's it like to be a Muslim in America right now? And these are things that I think are not really being explored in the modern media, partially because the news cycle is so quick, attention spans have truncated, and there's too much drama and ratings catnip in covering what's happening at the White House or what Donald Trump is saying or the tweets for us to really sit back and say, let's 
Let's talk about some of these policies and some of the things that are going on in a rich, deep, meaningful way. Yeah, create some empathy and yeah. You know. But also understanding, you know, people are so knee jerk. They have, they react instead of think. You know, the idea of thoughtfully considering a topic just doesn't happen anymore because I think the impulse is to be like, yes, yes, I think this, and then you're in your own echo chamber. Uh, or your silo, your media silo, where that those views are reinforced by like-minded people, that we've just lost our ability to actually have a conversation and hear different points of view. Before she left, I asked Katie to tell us about her most recent girl boss moment. The other day, I don't know, I guess this would qualify for a girl boss moment. I was at, I was being interviewed at Access It's not Access Hollywood anymore. I made the mistake of calling it Access Hollywood. But I worked with Natalie Morales for many years on the Today Show. And, you know, sometimes I felt like I could have done a better job mentoring people, that I could have helped them along more. But I think I was so focused on, like, what I was doing or kind of also just managing my life. And I've... I've tried to mentor young women, and but as I said, sometimes I feel like, gosh, I should do more. And Natalie said, you know, I remember when you were leaving the Today Show, you brought me into your office, and you said, Natalie, what do you want to do? And she told me, and I said, well, you need to really go for it. You need to get out there and ask for it. And it just made me feel like, you know, sometimes little things that you don't remember, other people do. And maybe it gave her some encouragement and strength and kind of the chutzpah to go for something. So it just made me think, maybe I've been better at that than I give myself credit for. And I'd like to do more of it. But sometimes it's not not as conscious as saying, I am going to mentor this young woman. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's how you act, how you behave, how you treat them, how you model behavior for other people. And that's just in quiet moments of making a comment or giving encouragement or saying, you know, you should do this or you should do that. And so that was kind of, I don't know, that was felt like, I guess, what you might consider a girl boss moment. Cool. That's great. And so success, as I mentioned, is something we're cracking here or -hmm. maybe not cracking, but just you know, examining um, and and what that word means and how... I think that's so interesting that you're doing that because I think that's, you know, as you were telling me about that, I was thinking, gosh, what, how I defined success might be very different than how other people think of it. And you're allowed to change your mind. That's the thing. And a lot of people, let's you know, we want everybody to make their own decisions and for one person's version of what success looks like for them it's it's totally different from the next person but i'm curious at this moment in time what does success mean to you i guess for me success means impact right so success means more people are getting screened for colon cancer success means more people are getting involved in stand up to cancer and trying to contribute and maybe getting inspired by what we're doing to start their own thing. Success means making people think about something a little bit differently. I think it just, 
I don't know that that to me impact is success, and it could be one person getting screened for for colon cancer. It can be one person who says, you know, that documentary on about transgender people really helped me understand and changed my perspective and educated me and you know made me be more compassionate. And some of all those things are very difficult to measure. How do you measure an increase in compassion on the part of an individual? But that to me is what success is. Like, do I help people understand the world? Do I help them maybe treat people a little bit differently? Do I help them somehow live better lives? I don't know, mm-hmm. but that's how I define it. That's great. Where can we find you? I'm quite active on social media, Sophia. I'm, I'm, the kids are teaching me. And uh, I love Instagram because I feel like it's such a nice community. And I tweet a fair amount, but mostly for news stuff. And I'm pretty active on Facebook. And I'm on YouTube. So wow. I'm using these new ways of communicating and you know, so it, it's easy to find me. And then, of course, doing projects like this. And I have a podcast every week myself, yeah. which we should mention probably, called with a very original title, Katie Couric. <laughs> I know. Amazing. Good for searchability. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's fun because I really enjoy – there's something that's very unedited and very relaxed and intimate about a podcast. And people really seem to – love podcasts and they're growing by leaps and bounds when a lot of other mediums are shrinking mm-hmm. podcasts are really exploding and I think that's interesting to really figure out why you should have somebody on your podcast talking about podcasts I would and love what that. is it yeah. about this medium that we people should. find so attractive yeah Katie thank you so much for joining me today thank on you, Girlboss Sophia. Radio tell everyone to watch my Nat Geo hours I will Exciting news, Girlboss Radio listeners, we have teamed up with Sephora Collection to launch another series. Yes, this is our third series, and it's a first for us in collaboration with a brand, Sephora Collection, and a first for Sephora to do a completely custom podcast telling stories of notable founders, creators, and thought leaders, and it's called Hashtag Lip Stories. So why the name Hashtag Lip Stories? Well, if you haven't heard, Hashtag Lip Stories are an amazing new line of lipsticks from Sephora Collection. There are 40 different shades of lipstick with three different finishes, metal, cream, and matte. The formula is beyond smooth, and they're all inspired by the real-life stories of women, just like the ones you'll hear on this show. To hear more from Ami Natuso and more amazing women like her, be sure to download Hashtag Lip Stories on April 12th on the Girlboss Radio Network, in the iTunes Store, or wherever good podcasts are found. That's hashtag lip stories starting April 12th. Thank you guys so much for joining me on another episode of Girlboss Radio today. Please subscribe, share the show with your friends if you love it, share it on your social media, leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts, and we'll be back next week 